Every day in every way, you're getting a little bit better or a little bit worse in every aspect of our lives. Health, Boom. relationships, finance, everything. There isn't a way to quantum leap. You can't cheat the short steps. You just can't do it. You get that quantum leap hockey stick growth from doing the correct things for a really, really long time. As long as you are doing things that are proven to be successful, never give up. Whatever it is in your industry that is known to be successful, just do it until you're successful. That's how you get the exponential quantum leaps that look like you got lucky, but you didn't. When you can bring massive value to the marketplace, you get paid massively. That's how you create your own luck. How would you feel if after 12 years in your career, you had built a $1 million annual income? By doing the right things for 12 years, Andy C. was able to accomplish this goal. Despite nearly going broke during the economic downturn of 2009, Andy grew his real estate business to over $40 million in sales by 2014. But that's just the beginning of Andy's quantum growth and incredible success. From 2014 to 2019, Andy grew his sales from 40 million to 400 million. And he and his team have taken two more massive steps forward since then, reaching 560 million in 2020 and exceeding 900 million in 2021. In terms of real estate team sales, the C Group is among the top performers in all of the United States. If you're ready for a masterclass on how to experience quantum growth in business and in life, you're in the right place. I'm proud to share the real life experience and brilliant insights of my friend, Andy C. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I have a guest today that has been a long time coming. I'm very excited to be with Andy C. Andy sold Cutco starting back in the summer of 1995. It was in my office. I trained the guy and he broke the Western region fast start record. When he started, that was $12,000 or so at the time. He came back and worked a second summer in sales and management in 1996, then went back to Middlebury College in Vermont, where he graduated in 1998 as a double major in poli-sci and philosophy, worked for a couple internet companies for a few years, 
ultimately getting into real estate sales in 2002. And there, Andy has built a truly amazing career, which we're going to talk a lot about today. He and his team reached top 10 status in the United States in 2019 with about $400 million in sales. And they have exploded from there with a quantum leap during the pandemic to $560 million in 2020 and now over $900 million for 2021. Just a remarkable performance. Andy is super successful with a lot of great insights. I'm excited to share him with you here today. Andy C., welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Excited. Yes, it's been a long time coming. I'm glad that we finally connected for this. And what great timing with you having had such an incredible year in 2021. Uh, let's take it back to 1995. Let's talk about Thanks. your Cutco experience and yep. you know what stands out in your memory, first of all. Well, I remember going in not knowing what the interview was all about. And I remember meeting you and, and you going through the presentation and just like blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. Like Cutco sales, it's an amazing thing. I, I want to learn. I'll make, I'll make so much money. But I was, uh, I was going back to a summer school program and I was like, oh man, I hope they'll still take me. I hope they'll still take me so that I could come back at the end of the summer and do this. And I was like, and, and you said, yeah. And I said, great. So I was looking forward to it all summer. And you kind of already uh, told the story. The goal for me during that fast start was a grand day every single day. And we did it, right? We, we, it was 10 days. I guess we did 12,000. I don't remember what the number was. I think one of the things just right out the gate with that specific achievement was I was working harder than I'd ever imagined you could work. Waking up super early, making phone calls, multiple presentations a day. The last presentation would be like 8 or 9 p.m. at night in people's houses, driving around. And, and it's kind of a fun thing to, to, to be working that hard and kind of really pushing the threshold of what you think is possible just physically, right? Let alone mentally. So Vector Cutco was definitely a cornerstone in my overall sales career, just personal development and everything. The very first book you gave me to read was The Wealthy Barber. That journey on self-help books and what you were able to give me, just all the Jim Rohns, Tony Robbins, and you know Stephen Covey's, all that stuff has propelled me to where I am, I think, today. And I think more than anything, it was that. It was just that introduction to self-help literature. Now, Something that I always talk about um, in what I do is, you know, I think you might even been one that told me this. There's a study about the most successful CEOs and, and what their defining characteristics. Number one is they're white. Number two is they're male. Number three is they're tall. The fourth one is one's ability to communicate, right? Or publicly speak. And that was a great thing that you do at, at, at Vector Cutco, like our weekly meetings, you know, giving a newer agent or, you know, the opportunity to speak in front of a small group in a public setting. That is amazing, right? Teaching us the skills to make cold calls or warm calls and then do an actual presentation. That's literally all I do today, right? All I do is a Vector presentation every day. Right. It's just it's call people, set an appointment, go out and close, sign a contract. That that's literally my job. And that that's a really neat thing. Yeah, you've only got two of those four qualities that you mentioned right there that of successful CEOs. Yeah, male and, and I can speak. That's right. I'm short and I'm Asian. <laughs> it's a true story, man. It it, it it is a true story. Just like tactically, 
the style of sales that you teach us, and you, I think you have to teach it because everybody is so young and, and it's our brand new. I, I call it depression era sales. It's objection, objection handler, objection, objection handler. It's like a boxing match and it's scripted. And it is, it is really important to be able to do that. And I use that same style of sales technique when I was brand new in the real estate business. I just learned scripts and it was, I learned the objection and the objection hand there. And it's like, what else can you throw at me? What else can you throw at me? And I've got the answer. I've got the answer. And later in my career, that will evolve to another level of selling. But I think, you know, at Vector, it's perfect because you got these young kids and you have to teach them that style. And it helps to have a product that they can believe in so much that they want the customer to buy, right? Absolutely. That is probably the most important thing in sales. The salesperson has to believe in the product. Like really think it is the best thing possible for the customer. And that's what it is. And that's what we've always believed, right? When we were selling the Cutco, it's like, it's the best knife. I mean, everything like, like the construction of steel, the, the tang going all the way through the handle, the, what the handle is made out of. And I mean, dude, when I was, when I was selling Cutco, I sold knives in medical to doctors and uh, people that were doing uh, cadaver, like uh, autopsies. I sold them there. And then um, I think I was probably the first uh, Cutco rep to get a consignment order of like a hundred fishing knives because I would go to I would go to uh, fishing expos in Vermont because that's where I was in school and you guys would send me a box and I would go out there and I would get a booth you know and it was just that ingenuity just like just be able to do something uh, in college um, to try to be creative and that was that was something that was fantastic um, I don't know if you remember it you guys did that for me cool. But yeah, I mean, I think I think that those are the like for me the super high points is the ability to learn to speak. It's the self help literature and just oh goal setting, writing down goals. I what I've since learned a little bit more about goals is you know just having a goal will propel you to achievement. Writing it down even a little further, sharing that goal with people a little bit more, being held accountable to that goal even more, and then. Um, reporting them consistently. So like, like when you, when you do all of those things, like your percentage chance of accomplishing those goals through the roof, you know, it just goes through the roof. So, and I think I, I definitely attribute the start of all that with you. Yeah. How have these lessons helped you build your real estate business? So, I mean, I took every single one of those principles as I, as I started on my journey in real estate. So, you know, in real estate, I start in 2002 and, um, Right out the gate, I get connected with a, a coach, and his name is Tom Ferry. And um, it, it literally, it's just it's just Vector Cutco. It's we call it our business plan was three two one. You you guys could use this three two one. Three hours of prospecting every single day, set two appointments every single day, and go on at least one appointment every single day. I mean, that's just basically a Cutco day, right? So that's what I did. I cold called. You know, I would do two to three hundred contacts every single day. I had a script. Hey, this is Andy with Intero Real Estate. Just doing a little marketing today. Just calling to find out when you plan on moving. You know, how long have you been at this address? Wow, 20 years. You got the record today. Again, my name is Andy. What's your name? John. Hey, John, if you were to sell, where would you go next? You know, Florida. Wow, what's in Florida? Oh, you know, the grandkids. Wow. When, when do you think that might be? When would you like to make that move? You know, and then, and I'll say something like, you know, I don't mind doing this. Sometime when it's convenient for you. For you, I'll swing by and uh, take a look at your house and give you a realistic idea of what it's worth. How's that sound? So that, that's, a, that's a script that I uh, used 18 years ago for two years straight in my business. And I haven't had to use that script again. But just like the Cutco scripts and the objection handlers, those scripts are just ingrained in my brain. Yeah. And I've used them. I think 
routine is probably another thing that we learned at, at Cutco Vector. And that's something that's very, that's very important in my, what I do now. You know, wake up early, I go to sleep in my workout clothes, hit a phone call with my affirmations partner, going over goals. I've been doing that for like 20 years. And then uh, doing a workout, just like you know, back in the Cutco Vector days, just now, like you only control your morning routine. If it, once 10 a.m., 11 a.m. hits, like all, all hell breaks loose everywhere. Fires are needing to put out. But you can wake up at the same time. You can go through your goals and affirmations. Uh, I, I've always done it with an affirmations partner. And, um, and then do a workout. Like this morning, I worked out 6 a.m. We did rowing and we did goblet squats. And then, you know, uh, start the day, right? So Andy, I'm curious about your affirmations. Yeah. Um, you know, the most popular guest in the history of this podcast is Hal Elrod, who wrote The mm-hmm. Miracle Morning. Okay. And in The Miracle Morning, he talks about the importance of daily affirmations. And yeah. we've discussed you, it at length in a couple episodes. But yeah, sure. All right. I put the needs of those who love me most first, I have a meaningful connection with everyone in my family every day. I'm neat and organized. I put things where they belong. I take an extra minute to organize spaces before I leave them. I make healthy eating choices all day long. I drink only water in my green drink and I weigh an athletic 150 pounds. I use every minute of the day as efficiently as possible. I will learn two foreign languages by the end of 2022. So I've, I've kind of modified them now. Last year it was, I'll earn $20 million by the end of the year. Now it's, I'll earn $40 million. I earn $40 million a year. I save $16 million a year. I earn $6 million a year in passive income. I find extremely profitable investments every day. $10,000 of mailbox money shows up in my mailbox every day. I stretch my legs and back and body every morning and night. I find ways to help those less fortunate than me every day. I arrive to all my appointments 10 minutes early. I prepare for my appointments the night before. I prepare healthy snacks so I don't get caught being hungry. I'll purchase a home in Hawaii. This was 2021, but now I'm going to say I'll purchase a home in Hawaii by the end of 2022, and I take one vacation a quarter. But I would have bought the house, but I found an even better investment uh, where where I work. That's that's the only reason why that I didn't buy that house. But um, <laughs> those are cool. Those that yeah. was great. And that I've great. done those affirmations every almost every day for 20 years. And the one that I like to joke about is you know earn a million dollars. Like like in real estate, like the pinnacle is to earn $1 million in gross commission income. And so that was my affirmation, but it took me 12 years to get there. You know, And after 12 years, in the 13th year, I said, I will earn $2 million in GCI or $2 million in a gross commission income. And I hit it the next year. But real estate for me, we like to joke and say, you know, we're an overnight success. It just took 20 years to get there. And for me in my journey, when the, the 08, 09 crash happens, right? I basically go broke. Broke it's a little strong because I mean, you know, like if I ever go homeless, I'm I'm moving in with my parents, right? You know, at the end of the day. But the truth is, in 2009-10, I had to sell my house, right? I didn't have any savings left. I had to borrow money from my parents, you know, and at that time, you know, I'm married, I got four kids, you know, and I'd been in the business 7 years and I had no savings and I had to sell my house and I was like, I can't do real estate for another seven years because if I, and it, it'll be 14 years. And what if I'm at the same point? You know, I've gone on a few fun vacations to Hawaii. You know, I had a Mercedes, but, you know, no real wealth creation, no real savings, you know. And so I almost got out of the business. I went to my manager at the time and I just said, Hey, you know, I think it's time for me to get a job at Oracle or Siebel, right? Coming outside sales rep for, for one of those companies. And little did I know, like they were all reeling, you know, because they had all taken out mortgages on their parents' houses to keep the company together. But I think one thing that's a success principle is just is never give up. And it's not just never give up. It's if you do the things that are 
known to be successful. And in real estate, it's stuff like open houses, cold calling, door knocking, direct mailers. If you do those things, you will be successful. It's just like by definition, right? Hmm. I think what happens a lot in, in my industry and in everybody's industry, people are always looking for that magic bullet, right? What's the, what's something like this? What's the one thing I can do to be successful? What's the one way to become great at real estate or what's, so there was a guy I remember in, in my office, you know, after about three or four years, and uh, his name was Dave. And he, he and I got in the business around the same time. Well, he was sitting what's called floor duty. So back 20 years ago, there were just signs in the yards. And on the sign, it had the company's phone number. And so if a, a consumer was driving by a, a house, they would see the sign and they would call the number. And the person that was sitting in the office on floor duty would get that call. Well, Dave got that call. And it was for a guy who wanted to buy a $4 million house. And like the worst thing that could have possibly happened to Dave happened, he showed him the house and the guy bought it. Why, why is that the worst thing that could happen? Dave makes, what, $100,000 on a single call? What does he do for the next five years of his career? He sits on floor. He never gets another deal again. It doesn't work, <laughs> right? That's like the worst thing that could happen. You go win the lottery tomorrow, $10 million. What are you going to do? You're going to play the lottery every day for the rest of your life, and you're going to go broke. It's a known <laughs> way to become broke, right? It's not going to work. So the thing about me was I had been doing open houses for like five years straight. And I mean like straight every weekend, Saturday and Sunday. It didn't matter if I was sick, my kids were sick, it was a holiday, vacation, it doesn't matter. I didn't open house Super Bowl Sunday every day, right? And when you do that kind of disciplined activity in probably any industry, a few things happen. The most important thing that actually, well, I'm not going to say the most. One is just the mental discipline. That mental toughness makes you bulletproof. But the more important one, I think, is your skill set. You take your skill set through the roof. You know, I always tell new agents in real estate, you need to learn how to talk before you can talk to people about real estate, let alone talk to people about real estate and convince them to sign a contract, let alone talk to people about real estate, convince someone to sign a contract and actually get a house sold to closing, right? And then sold to closing and not get sued six months later. Right. So there are steps that need to be taken before you can get all the way through that process. Mm -hmm. And for us, it starts at some type of lead generation, which is usually sweat equity, whether that's phones or open houses. And for me, I transitioned from phones to open houses during my first seven years of my career. So even though I go six months without a paycheck, by about month five, I would say, I know I've got some deals in escrow that are going to close. And as it turned out, the back half, the last six months of 2009. So I go January to June or July, no, no check. And then, but the back half, the last six months, I actually make more in that six month period than I do for any 12 month period in the business because I've been doing the right things. I take risks in my business. You take educated risks. One of the things that has been instrumental in my just success are people that have believed in me and given me great advice. So I, I joke, but this is so dead on true. Ever since I was a little kid, my dad has told me when he was in his like 20s, he went to a fortune teller and that fortune teller told him that his firstborn son would be very successful and rich. And like, <laughs> my, my entire life, he has told me that story. And so when like I was like broke and had to, I was like, dad, I need to borrow money. I can't make the ends meet. He would just, he cut me a check. He's like, here you go. You're going to be successful because the fortune teller said you're going to be successful. So like, it was like no brainer in his mind. Didn't matter. Like just keep, keep feeding Andy some cash until he can get back on his feet because it's going to be, it's going to happen. Another great mentor of mine is a guy named Gino Blafari, who's now the CEO of home services, which is basically like, like, so 
Warren Buffett, and then one guy, and then Gino. Gino runs all of Berkshire Hathaway Homes and everything. And um, we used to do a do a meeting with him, a mastermind meeting. And that mastermind meeting met at Starbucks at like 5 a.m. on Saturday. Okay, let that marinate for a second. The only people that are showing up for a 5 a.m. Saturday morning mastermind are people that want to be there. And that is exactly what he did. He, so we had that and we would go, we would read books and like leadership books and that kind of stuff. But one day, and, he, and I don't even know, he probably, he might do this with every single person. One day after that meeting, he comes up and he's just, Andy, you are so good. You don't even know how good you're going to be. And I was like, oh my God, Gino said, I'm going to be good. So that means I'm going to be good. Right. And so that, that's one thing that has stuck with me forever. When I first met Gino, like 20 years ago, he had an affirmations journal and he wrote in his journal every day that I will earn $20 million by the end of the year or whatever he wrote. But he wrote it out like 40 times. And I saw pages and pages and pages and pages. And that was enough to convince me that, you know, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. If, if you know, somebody's super successful like him. So he's, I mean, I don't think he sold Vector, but, you know, he, he started in Tarot, sold that to Berkshire Hathaway, man, lost money. Now he's in charge of all home services. But it's that kind of stuff. And, and I remember, I think, I think you have a framed check. It was a big check. Maybe it was a hundred thousand. I don't remember, but you have a framed check at the office when we were young, you know, and impressionable. I was like, my God, you can make that much money, uh, you know, in a single check. I remember that. And that, that was another, that was another cool one. I definitely had some checks on the wall that had a comma with three numbers to the left of the comma. Okay, so it was six figure. It was a six figure check. That, that's cool. That's cool. That's what it was. Hey, this has been awesome. Like you talked about disciplined activity mm-hmm. being a key lesson that helped you in your real estate business mm-hmm. and the importance of starting with the prospecting, right? Mm-hmm. Your three, yep. two, one. Yeah. And you talked about scripting. Yep. So you're following a program that was a, yep. that was a part of the process, right? Following yep. a system. And then you talked about mentors. Mm-hmm. Right, whether it was Tom Ferry or uh, Gino Blafari mm-hmm. that helped you along the way. Yeah. Um, I love the concept of taking educated risks. Yeah, as you're progressing, right? These yeah. were all some of the things that helped you get that get the real estate business from zero to a million dollars in Absolutely. income over those first twelve years. Uh, over the first twelve, well, I will tell you. Yeah, I mean, I had that stuff for the first ten. The next thing that happens in my business, the two things that happened in my business, specifically for real estate, is I meet my friend, Justin Carroll. So you know Bobby Lapsovic. Bobby's uh, wife has a friend named Chanel who was friends with Angel, who's Justin's wife. And Justin is a new agent who joins my Saratoga office here at Intero. And Bobby's like, hey, I got a friend of a friend coming to the office. Maybe you can help him out at answering his questions. I'm like, yeah, sure. Happy to do that. I do that with everybody. So just ask questions. And you know, one day he, he says, hey, I have to go on this listing appointment. Will you go with me? And I said, okay, fine. If we get it, let's just split it 50-50. And he said, okay, that sounds fair. So we get it and we sell it 50-50. He's like, can you help me on this? other one? Great. Did that again. And what that created was my very first real partnership in the business. My mom was a real estate agent. I was, I worked with her for the first five years and I left that company and I kind of started that C group. But Justin's my first real partner. And what that partnership taught me is a lot of different things. The first thing that it taught me is I could work with somebody who was really good at all the things I wasn't good at that would free me up to only do the things that I am really, really good at. Like the three things that Andy is better than better at than anybody pretty much is listing presentation, open house, and negotiation deal making. 
And it's really negotiation deal making that I'm the, like, like the best of the best of the best at. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit more. But so Justin ended up taking over all my other stuff, whether it was marketing or paperwork or the back office stuff or supplies or whatever. He took over all that. And so we created a partnership um, where I would give him like 15% of what I made and he would give me 50% of everything he made. And that is how, just as a real estate agent, it's a great way to start a, a, a partnership because what from that, you can scale that when you have no money, right? Because when you have no money, you, you can't pay somebody a salary, but you can p- give them a piece of the business, right? So it's that win-win mentality that uh, with, with Justin is like probably the first piece of team building that created. So for us, what we realize is if we can make more money together than we can separately, that's a good partnership. Right. I've, I've translated that to every partnership I've ever done, right? Right after Justin. So with Justin, I make my first million one. And then literally the next year, there's a guy named Donald, who's, who's a guy. Uh, he was at the time, I think he was in Reno. And then um, he ended up coming down to the Bay Area to work with me. And I said, Hey, Don, why don't you just come down here? I'll make a farm for you. If, if things don't work out with you and me, you can keep the farm. I won't ask for a single penny out of it. He just basically became a second Justin. And that was really the start. Like literally we go from one, one to two, two the next year. And so we're off to the races and we've almost basically, we've either increased our, our market share or the money we made or the houses we sold by 30% to 50% every year or doubled since and in the last eight years. And that, you know, as you said, we hit nine hundred million dollars this year. We didn't quite hit a billion, but we're over nine hundred million. And so, but but that is a a very important piece. So, finding people that you synergize with, you have to synergize with people on every level, on ethics, of course, but also what how hard you want to work, right? So, like I always say on my team, everybody on my team is really smart, really hardworking, and has a very strong moral compass. If you don't have all three of those elements as a team, you will fall apart. I've had people join the team and are missing one of those three elements and they just weed themselves out. I don't have to even fire anybody because they're just like, it's just not, it's like oil and water. We're not meshing together. It's not, it's uncomfortable, you know, but the people, once you get the right people that are whatever your tribe is, right? Whatever the winning characteristics are, you, you grow exponentially. And then I keep coming back to Gino. I, I meet with Gino every week. So we're always talking about fun topics, but I was like, why, why does Warren Buffett keep working, right? Why, does, why, do, why do these people keep working? It's because they like it. And not only do they like it, they like the people they work with. Mm-hmm. So when you both like what you're doing and you like the people you're hanging out with and working with, like that makes all the difference. You know, and that's how these 95-year-old people stay healthy and they're continuing. It's because they enjoy it, right? Even though when well past when they have to. I think that's why some very uber-talented people stay with Cutco for so long even though they might be able to chase something more lucrative someplace else, you know, their Cutco career is lucrative enough and the people are great. And that's what keeps a lot of people around. It's what's kept me around for so long. hundred percent. And it makes sense. Once you get to the point, and I think we'll talk about this, but once you get to the point where you've got enough for you and your kids and that, I mean, then it's just all about helping people and it's whatever avenue you want to take. I don't care what anybody says. That, that's the goal in life. The goal in life is to just help as many people as you can, period. You know, I've, I've, I've run through every philosophical like thought about what else is there. Like literally almost anything else is unsustainable. Like you can't, you can't make tons of money. Like some that'll conflict with people. But the one thing that like can never, you can never have enough of is everybody helping each other infinitely. Like you'll never, it'll never end. It'll be great. And it's, it's a really positive thing. So great insight. I like Cur- it. Like, yeah. Career wise. I mean, let me just, uh, 
so the first thing, like I said, was team building. And then, and then the other thing is just a specific real estate thing. And, and you could translate this to anything, but it's farming. So I go into a direct mail lead generation style of, 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 of finding people who want to buy and sell homes. So it, for me, it started with a hundred home condo complex in Palo Alto, and then 1500 homes in what we call the golden triangle of Saratoga. And then it was all Saratoga. And then I grew from there basically to the point where I'm, you know, I'm mailing to like, you know, five cities, 50,000, 100,000 homes twice a month. But the piece I think that you can take away from that in any business is when you're able to take the person out of the lead generation, then you can scale infinitely, right? Because I'm always going to be the bottleneck, right? I'm always going to be the bottleneck. So once you can take the, the, the producer out, then you can scale infinitely. Shoot. So farming is you uh, target a specific geographic area. You start yes. small, as you said. Yes. Then you gradually built that up higher and you tackled that geographic area with direct mail marketing. Yeah. And it can be, it can be online, you know, it can be door knocking, but typically I think in real estate, what I've found is direct mail and that lead generation is for me, it's been the most successful, but like for those of the real estate people out there in the community, I always tell people like, you can't just start mailing a bunch and hope to be successful. That's not how it works. All those years of cold calling and open houses, that skill set refinement. Because without that, the whole point to like what we do, that farming mailing piece, is to get the phone to ring. Well, guess what? If you don't pick up the phone, millions of dollars in marketing just went out the window. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you pick up the phone and don't know what to say, millions of dollars out the window. If you pick up the phone, you do know what to say, but you get to their house and are invited to the you know, kitchen table and you can't close, doesn't matter, right? And right. on top of that, if you can actually sell the house after you sign the listing agreement, it won't matter. So you have to do every single one of those pieces well before that lead generation piece uh, can start. And the other thing that happened out of necessity, but I think is a good just business piece, is what your definition of a lead is, right? How you define a lead will drastically change your business and the way you attack this business. Most real estate agents are happy to talk with people that are like a month out from their buying decision or two months out or six months out, and they'll have a drip campaign to stay with them. That doesn't work if you want to sell three or four or 500 houses a year. When you sell three or four or 500 houses a year, you have to only be talking to people that are willing to sign a contract today. Mm -hmm. right? And the only reason why you're able to do that is because your lead generation is so robust that you're meeting the people that are actually wanting to sign today. Right. 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 And that's why I never did a ton of sphere of influence pop buys and or mailings. Like you don't, you've never gotten a piece of something from me saying, "Hey Dan, Dandy again, just checking in. You think about buying or selling a house?" Like it's never happened, right? But it's because most people's sphere of influence are like three months, three years out. So that lead time is too long. They're spending this time with people that are that far out, right? But you get you get a mailer from me every single week, almost probably at your house, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. exactly. So the, the, the day that you want to sell your house, you can be like, oh, maybe I should call Andy, right? And so, and that's the difference specific to real estate. But I think that translates to any industry. Once they can figure out how to change their definition of a lead and shrink it down and then only go after that one segment the most, I think business will explode. And that's really what you've seen is a refinement of that uh, over the last five, 10 years in my career, right? To to get me to the point. I don't know. I don't know what the real numbers are. 
I might be the number one agent in the Bay Area. I might be the number one agent in California. And I might be top three in the country. So, you know, it just depends on how you cut it. Because people take credit for other people's sales a lot in this business. But 1099, I think I'm way up there. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That uh, is great. So when you hit a million dollars in gross commission income, in gross commissions, Mm -hmm. uh, that was about how much 2014. in 2014 and, and that was about how much in sales like is it like million. 50 million 40 million yeah. in sales so that's 2014 and you went from 40 million in sales in 2014 to 400ish in 2019 mm-hmm. and then 560 mm-hmm. during a pandemic year yeah. and then 900 this year that is yeah. just an incredible quantum leap like tell us about the quantum leap from 40 to 900 so that's a great question the slight edge is like my Bible, basically, right? And it's every day in every way, you're getting a little bit better or a little bit worse in every aspect of our lives, health, Boom. relationships, finance, everything. And the other, I mean, there's just, there's just so much good stuff in that book and in the intro, it'll blow your mind. But one of the other super nuggets out of that is there isn't a way to quantum leap. There, like you, can't, you can't cheat the short steps. You just can't do it. Like you can't, you just can't. And so because I had been doing the right things for like whatever, 12 years up to that, that's where the quantum leap happens. And it happens not even doing anything different. I've had this conversation with other top, top, top producers, like my friend David Troyer up in Los Altos. I was like, what are you doing differently? He's like, honestly, nothing. I was like, me too. I'm not really doing anything different. Like we're doing the same stuff. But it's just that you get that quantum leap hockey stick growth from doing the correct things for a really, really long time. And that, that's really all that happened now. If you want to talk pandemic, that's a little bit different, right? We got in real estate locally, we got the biggest, you know, infusion of wealth that we could have ever possibly imagined. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, um, t- tell us about the pandemic year. So okay, so the pandemic hits, and for me, really, it's like March of 2020 when it sets in that oh my god, what is happening? Because we go 18 days without selling a house. For for me, who I'm almost, I'm almost used to selling, you know, five a week, almost almost one a day. As a team, it's definitely one a day. And we go 18 days and we don't sell a single house in March of 2020. I have to call my staff because I have four assistants and I got one marketing guy. And I tell them, look, guys, I probably have enough to maintain all the salaries for 12 months. But if it goes much beyond that, we're gonna have to, you know, restructure or you guys might have to brush up those resumes. Cause I don't think I can do it. Cause I thought, I thought that this was 2008, 2009, 2010, all over again. That's what I thought. I thought we're in another just drop off a clip situation, but we were wrong. And I'll explain why we were wrong in a second. But what I found during the pandemic is if you look, fortunes were made, look at restaurants, right? Some restaurants, they didn't pivot. They went out of business. Some restaurants, you know, did a to-go model and they made more money than they ever had. My, 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 one of my favorite Japanese restaurants, Ajito, you know, over there on Bollinger, it pivoted to just to go. And they're like busier than they've ever been. What we did was we did one thing that I think was really cool. So right out the gate, and you can look up me up on YouTube. I'm like one of the first agents in the country to do a virtual open house where we take a camera. I'm on a zoom call, right? First one we did was just a straight zoom call. Then we did a Zoom call and I can't remember, there's a software that we pushed it through so that it could stream on like YouTube and a bunch of other places. And in the beginning, it was like Andy with a selfie stick going through a house. 
And then I had my assistant, Richard, at the time following me with a boom box to make it look like we had classical music going on in the open house. And then he was just following me around while I was on my, my, my Zoom stick, right? And then what we realized is I could have my other gal, Anjali, at home on the Zoom call playing music, unmuted, and nobody would know that the music wasn't actually at the house. So, <laughs> so we're, we're doing all these fun things at a virtual open house, but everything that can go wrong goes wrong. The power cuts out. All of a sudden, I have no internet connection. The sprinklers go on one time when I'm walking through, right? And so we evolve, but it's just like the slight edge. Like We get better and better and better because we're going through these steps. Then I start doing like professionally produced high-end video walkthroughs with a voiceover. And even that, like we got better and better and better and better at that. And I've, I've kept that piece. And the other big pivot that we did was they stopped letting you do open houses in person. But what you were allowed to do was an appointment visit. Okay. So I was like, well, wait a second. Let's just do this. I will make the appointment in the driveway for a minute from now. And then we'll go see the house together privately. So you you see what I'm saying? All I did was I took the rules. I figured out a way to follow the rules, but do what I needed to do. And I think that's a true mark of an entrepreneur also. We call them drive up appointment open houses. You drove up, made an appointment with you in the driveway. It's for a minute from now. And we walk in and everybody's, you know, distance, masks, the whole nine yards, everything got sanitized, you know, when we had to do that. And so I'm really proud and happy about that. Because not only did it actually sell houses, but it just showed, you know, that we were at another level of just thinking and, and execution, and we could we could do that. And so that kind of stuff, um, you know, has kind of set me apart in my career. So what happened during the pandemic, specifically for real estate, specifically for in the Silicon Valley? Well, the story that I like to tell is this: in a given year, the U.S. government will collect. $3 trillion in taxes. And they use that money to basically go out and build roads and fund schools and all the different programs we have in the country. What did they do in 2020? They collected the $3 trillion, but they also just printed $5 trillion out of thin air, two stimulus packages, one for three trillion, one for two trillion, right? So now you got $8 trillion in the marketplace running around, right? What else happened? The entire world goes on lockdown and we do like the same five things. We search for stuff on Google. We find our friends on Facebook. We do Zoom calls like this one, right? We buy stuff on our Apple phones. We watch Netflix movies. And those, and we you know, buy stuff on Amazon. And those companies are very centered in the Bay Area, right? Where right. we live, you and I live. And so what happens? All those engineers, right, get tons of stock. And those companies go through the roof. Their stock goes through the roof. And they have to buy houses. And you saw that, like, you know, Apple's got a big contingent in Austin. You see that in Austin. And the other thing was interest rates, right? Part of the Fed plan was basically keep interest rates where they were, if not drive them lower, right, to increase stimulus. So that is just like the perfect melting pot for real estate. When stocks go up, people's ability to afford a down payment increases. So now you can afford more house. But there's an inverse correlation with stocks and interest rates. The higher stocks go up, the more interest rates go down. So you get this double whammy effect of now people have more money and they can borrow more money at less money, less Mm -hmm. cost. Right. right? So, so that happens during the pandemic nationally. And so, so boom, right? Stock market's going up, interest rates are going down. You couldn't ask for a better uh, scenario for real estate. Right. And so sometimes when I tell like my own career story, I look at it like, like Forrest Gump, right? In the Bubba Gump shrimp boat. 2008, 2009 happened. Everybody gets out of business. I should have gotten out of the business. You know, if my dad doesn't help me out and if a couple things don't go my way, I get out of the business. But everybody got out of the business. And I was like the last boat standing. So I was there ready 
for uh, 2020 and 2021. Now, one of the things that I had been hoping for, I mean, hoping is way too strong, but but I've been preparing myself for is I thought another 0809 would happen. And so the market would crash and I'd be able to buy real estate. That right. isn't what happened. What happened, you know, but still I was in a position to take advantage of the market and pivot my team in a way to take full advantage of it. And, you know, the money that I'd saved up ended up like I've, I've used that in a different way too. Like we just do real estate on a whole nother level now. I was in a presentation, you know, four months ago and, and I was talking to a guy and I said, Hey, your house is probably worth about three, one to three, two, but let's put a hundred thousand dollars into this house. Let's do a remodel and, um, I'll get you maybe, you know, another three to $500,000 and I can, I'll lend, I'll even give you the money to do that. Right. So I'm like my own bank there, letting him borrow money to do it. And he's like, no, it's okay. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. He's like, I've already talked to a bunch of agents and they all say my house is worth 31532. He's like, if I can walk away with $3 million right now, I'll do it. And I said, 3 million? I was like, if that's all you want, I'll, I'll give you 3 million. And I'll close in three days. He's like, really? I was like, yeah. I was like, you know, sleep on it because I, I think I can get you way more. So I think they might've been going through a divorce or something. He's like, you know what? You call me back the next day. If you can really do that, if you're being truthful and honest, I'll do it. I said, done. Bought it three days. I put the hundred thousand dollars in. It's a house on Tucker, and um, we just sold for three eight. You know, wow. after a hundred thousand dollar, one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollar investment. You know what I mean? So, like, when you come from a place where you're actually trying to help people, sometimes you know you get a different kind of benefit back, right? That kind of stuff is on a whole nother level. And I would say that's another lesson that I've learned. When you can bring massive value to the marketplace, you get paid massively. You basically get paid the size of the problem you're solving, you get paid in direct proportion to that, right? And that's right. We've, we've talked about or heard from all over the place. So, but that, I mean, that's basically the real estate side and, and, the, and the growth. It's problem solving, it's team building, um, and it's just bringing massive value to the marketplace on a consistent yeah. basis, you know? Yeah, and I love, Andy, the slight edge concept that there is no quantum leap that occurred for you between 2014 and 20. 21 that wasn't already in the works through all of what you had learned and the effort you would put in during those first 12 years. It's reminiscent of the the old Chinese bamboo tree story that Zig Ziglar would tell where you you know you water the bamboo tree right over and over and over again and it doesn't grow very much and then all of a sudden in a really short period of time it it grows you know a huge yeah, amount. Exactly. And um, water, that's a, that's a lot like what it seems like your career has been. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like Andy are some of your success principles, your Andy yep. C-isms that you All think right. are universally important so, in any business. So I'm going to, half of them are Andy C-ism, half of them are just straight stolen. So I'm going to go through about 13, 14 points. All right. <laughs> go number for one, it. Number one, be super thankful. This business is hard. Be super thankful because that is job security. I tell people all the time, you know, if this was actually easy to do, to actually sell stuff for top dollar consistently, I'd be commoditized, right? It, but it's actually really hard to sell houses consistently for a lot of money or help buyers buy houses in really competitive markets. And because of that, when you're able to do it, you get paid. Mm -hmm. um, number two, I always say, make as many mistakes as you can, as fast as you can. Just don't make the same mistake twice. We talked about three, two, one, three hours of prospecting, set two appointments, go on one every day. Number four is R&D, rip off and duplicate. If somebody's doing something better than you or a different way, steal it and make it better. Number five, we talked about always know the value that you bring to every negotiation. 
in my world, in my career, it's going to be the value that I bring to a buyer or a seller or to a brokerage, right? Like when I'm negotiating commission splits or when I'm negotiating, you know, like commissions or I'm negotiating the value of a house to somebody. Like right now, I mean, this morning I, I'm, I'm doing a deal where, you know, the house is listed for a million five. We got three offers. You know, one person jumped up to a million five. There's an all cash offer for a million five, five. And there's another guy uh, at a million six. I pushed the million six up to like a million six, five. The cash guy is coming up over the top and there's another guy. And so the, the, the seller is going to have to decide what's more important to me. Is all cash close in 10 days important to me or is an extra 20 grand? 50 grand. I did a deal a month ago where the seller decided a mil, a 4.65 million cash was more important, more valuable than 4.75 with a loan that closed in 20 days. I was kind of shocked. I'd wait a, I'd wait 20 days for for 100 grand, but maybe they had another investment opportunity where they were going to make double that, so they wanted the cash quickly. So, you know, you have to know the value that you're bringing in every negotiation and from that you can learn negotiation tactics from a position of weakness or from a position of power. And there are different ways and different tactics that you use depending if you're in a position of weakness or a position of power in every negotiation for different outcomes. I mean, and along those lines, we also know that everything's a win-win. Like if you can't make a win-win in every negotiation, everyone's going to lose. You go down win-lose at any point, it's going to be lose-lose. So it always has to be win-win. Number six, you know, we just talked about Improve every aspect of your business or your life by 1% every day, just straight out of uh, The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. The, another thing that from you is I listen to audiobooks every day in my car, right? Zig Ziglar, Dale Carnegie, Tony Robbins, Brian Tracy, Jim Rohn is like, you know, the king, right? Jim Rohn's the king. You know, I remember uh, my sophomore year after having gone to your stuff on one of my breaks, I fly to St. Louis from Vermont to go watch a Jim Rohn you know, event. And looking back on my life, like what college student does that? Like who, who's, who's picking a, you know, Jim Rohn event in St. Louis as your spring break fun. That's kind of weird, you know, but I think it's telling also, you know what I mean? I did that. Number eight goals. You got to write them down. You got to track them. You got to report them and then have affirmations partners. We talked about that. Number nine, this is good for real estate. I think this is good for anybody. And I'll go into a little deep. What I say on this is just live on 20% of what you earn. And it's really important in real estate specifically because in real estate, when you, you make $100, you know, $10 goes to the company, then you spend another $10 to $20 in marketing, you're down to $70 very quickly. And then the government takes half. They take more than half. They take half in income tax. And then when you go buy something, they take another 8%. So you're from that 70, you're down to 35. So you got to live on 20. And with the other 15, you got to use that for investments, right? Your retirement plan. Because we don't have a retirement plan in real estate. But I think that's easily translated in anybody's industry. Figure out what you earn every month. Figure out how, what you spend every month. And try to get to one month of savings. Then two, then three, then four. And then you know five months. Once you get to a year or two years of savings of your monthly expenses, then you can start investing, right? And I think that's good investing advice. I got, I got investing advice if you want to hear it. I'll give it to you in a second. Number 10, I always tell people, you just, you just can never give up. You just can't. You just cannot give up, period. As long as you are doing things that are proven to be successful, never give up. So like, I don't think it's right to just buy lotto tickets. I don't think it's right to sit on floor. But I do think it's okay to door knock or make cold calls because those are proven, right? Just don't give up. Whatever it is in your industry that is known to be successful, just do it until you're successful. 
this should be number one, but it's at, at 11. Schedule time with your family and significant others first. I love the Stephen Covey video of the big rocks and the pebbles and the water. You know that one, right? Where the most success, like you, you got to put that stuff in first because that's the most stuff, important stuff. We talked about 12, control your morning routine. You know, if you don't have your health and your exercise, it doesn't matter everything else you do. 13 is you have to operate as if two crises are happening in your life at all times. Your kids are sick and your mom is in your hospital and you still got to get all your stuff done. You got a flat tire and you know the kitchen's on fire. You still got to get all your stuff done. I tell that to everybody because what happens when one crisis happens in everyone's lives? They throw their hands up. It's not my fault. I couldn't get what I was supposed to get done, done, right? That's what everybody does in every business. Totally. Right? So I just yep. say, look, you have to operate as if two crises are happening at all times and you still get your stuff done. So when nothing's happening, you're doubly efficient. If the third crisis happens, then you can throw your hands up and say, you know what? I couldn't get it done. It's my fault. Do you know what I mean? But if you don't have that mindset out the gate, it's too easy to fall victim to a crisis. That was not my fault. It wasn't my fault. My flat tire, that's not my fault. But you know what? The tax guy doesn't care. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you got you to pay your money, right? So 14, this is just one. This is going to be my book one day. And it's you got to find your yeah, but. I'm like, what's a yeah, but? A yeah, but is they say, well, yeah, but. Andy, you grew up in Saratoga and your mom was a real estate agent. That's why you're successful in real estate. Or, yeah, but Dan's been a cuckoo for so long and he's been able to you know, be so successful and that's why he makes as much money. Or, yeah, but no, he had that great idea. So he started that company. That's why he's, right? Yeah, but he just works harder than everybody. Yeah, but he's just smarter than everybody. If you don't have a yeah, but you need to go find one so that everybody can have that excuse as to why you're successful, but nobody else is. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, but he speaks too many languages or she speaks Chinese. I can't do that. I can't speak Mandarin, right? So I always say that. You got to find your yeah, bud. Those are some of the guiding principles that I have. Um, another one just, just popped in my brain, Atomic Habits. You know that great book, Post No Zeros? I've really done Post No Zeros. What is Post No Zeros? If you were supposed to work out today, do one push-up. Walk around the block, right? You know, if you were supposed to prospect or cold call today and you didn't, send one text message to a friend. Just don't post a zero. And so as long as you post no zeros and you stay on that slight edge 1%, that's how you get the exponential quantum leaps that look like you got lucky, but you didn't, right? The truth is luck, as we know, is when opportunity meets preparedness or experience, right? And so that's all that happened in the pandemic. Every other real estate agent in the industry, in my local area, across the country, had the same opportunity I had, the pandemic. It was an opportunity, but was everybody put well, like prepared with preparedness or experience to be able to take advantage of that and double a business from you know 500 million to 900 million? That's insane, right? But we were able to do that. So that's how you create your own luck. Awesome stuff, man. I love it. I mean, there's just so many good nuggets to for people to chew on in there that you just shared mm -hmm. uh, for sure. Like the first one was just so compelling. It's like be thankful that what you're doing is hard because that's your security, right? Your greatest security is your ability to produce and be excellent at something. Hundred percent. You know, you've clearly been able to really maximize that concept in your life. I mean, you're so good at what you do. It's clear that you're just so good at what you do, and that's why you've you know reached the top of a of a uh, massive opportunity industry. And so being thankful that it's hard, I think that's a good reminder for people as they're climbing the mountain at the bottom, 
And they are slipping a lot of times to realize that, hey, you know, as I continue to improve, as I continue to get better, right? I'm going to have, I'm going to have more rewards than others because I hung in there in an industry that was difficult in a role that was difficult. So that was pretty cool for sure. And then you also said, you know, rip off and duplicate. And it just reminds me again that like there's a program for almost everything. There's a program for selling Cutco. There's a program for successful Cutco managers. There's a program in real estate. You've outlined a lot of the pieces of it today. Yeah. And if people follow that, right, they will ultimately reach the success that they want. It takes longer for others and maybe shorter for some, but everybody can get there if they follow the right steps for a long enough period of time. So that was great. Of course, the goals piece that you referenced earlier that you talked about earlier and referenced briefly Mm -hmm. just now was so good. And the routines, right? And then you you also said, you know, as you mentioned, it should have been number one, but you know, time with family first, right? I feel like we were talking about this before we hit record today, but you're saying that, you know, it doesn't, when you reach a certain level of income, which is far lower than what you've achieved, there's a certain level that when you get to it, more income doesn't become that important. It's a goal and it's inspiring and it's motivating. But what's really most important is time with people you love and your health, right? Yeah. Time with people that you love, those relationships and your health, I think are the most important and learning and that kind of stuff. And the funny thing is, you know, you can do those day one. You don't have to have any money. You can have great relationships with your family, spend time with them and have great health. I think the difference though is the reason why we make the incomes is because it it creates freedom for us because now we don't have to do the work. We do it because we choose to, right? We do the work because we like the people that we're working with. And I think that's the big reason why people do what we have to do. We do the things, is it Zig Ziglar or Jim Rohn? You know, we do the things that nobody else wants to do now so that we can do whatever we want later, right? Everybody else just kind of does whatever they want now. And then later on, they're stuck doing the things they don't want to do. Right. And so I think that's why we do that. Yeah, exactly. Andy, uh, what legacy do you hope to leave? How do you want to change people's lives through, through so, your work? A little while back, I, I started realizing nobody cares if Andy's the number one agent in Saratoga or if I'm the number one agent in the California or the country. So I became a CASA volunteer. So CASA is court appointed special advocate, right? For typically foster care kids or kids that are at high risk uh, for neglect or abuse. And I've got two kids that I, you know, I see them at least on this, this week, I'm going to see them a couple times this week. I realized like you need to spend real time helping people. It's one thing to throw money at a problem and, and, and donate. It's another thing to like get down and help people. So I, I got two kids and they're, they're in a tough situation. Like all the kids in the CASA program, dad was homeless, mom's on drugs and part of like five, six siblings. And just getting food on the table is hard enough, let alone getting them through school and, and get decent grades to get through junior high and then high school and then maybe to college. And so what I realized is like, look, if I can impact one person that maybe wasn't going to get to college, that could turn around and get a great job and turn around and impact their community a little bit more, I think I'll do more good in that little window of time than selling every house in the city, you know, and making gazillions of dollars. And so that's, that's one thing that I, I, I just realized, like, it didn't matter how much I was making anymore or, or who, you know, no one cares if, if you're the number one agent, not really. They're not coming to your funeral because of that, right? They're not going to cry at your funeral because of that. But if, right. but if I can help, so that, that's something that's become a passion of mine is doing that, giving back in a real way and um, getting involved in, in somebody's life that I was lucky. You know, you and I were lucky. We didn't get to choose our parents, but we had these great parents 
that provided pretty much anything we ever wanted growing up, you know, and every opportunity. And it's not like that for everybody. And I think if you can get on the ground and help people, so that's, that's something I do. And it's not, I don't do a lot, but I do a, a few hours every week. Obviously, I want to set a great example for my kids and hope they are able to do what it is that they want to do and what they're passionate about and provide a legacy there. And, you know, selfishly, right? Like one of my goals is to, you know, travel to a foreign country every quarter. You're probably realizing this too. Like we're not that young anymore, you know? And, and we say that and people that are older, are going to laugh, but you know, 45, I'm not as fit as I was when I was 30. I still want to go climb mountains. I want to travel while I'm still young enough to be able to really travel and get to everywhere and run with the bulls in Pamplona. You know what I mean? So that's the kind of stuff I want to do for the next, you know, 10, 20 years, hopefully with my kids and that kind of fun stuff. And then I think, I think career stuff is always going to be there and it'll pivot a little bit. I think those are the main things I'm trying to do on a very micro level. And then on a macro level too, influence those I can. And like on my team, I want to help all my team members get to a, a really good financial independence place for all you real estate agents out there. I always say, you know, it's not how much we make. It's not how much we keep. It's how many houses did you buy in the last year or two? So our goal for everybody on my team is buy one condo or one house a year, you know, or every two years, or whatever it is but don't burn it on Porsche. You know, I didn't really talk about that, but for like 10 years, I drove a, a Lexus that I bought used for 10 grand and my Prius that I bought for cash for $27,000. I never had fancy cars, shop at Nordstrom's Rack, you know, that kind of stuff. So if I can impart some of that wisdom on other people and they can use that to be successful and then pay it forward, right? That's all this is all about. It's paying it forward, paying it forward, paying it forward, and just, you know, do our part to impact the world a little bit better. I think yeah. that's good. Love it. Love it, Andy. You got any last words for the Cutco audience? For the Cutco audience, I mean, you're in the right place. You are so lucky. I read a quote like on Instagram the other day, and it's like, if you're reading this, you're already winning. And I feel like if you're a Cutco vector, you're already winning. Your program has made it so, I don't want to say easy because it's not easy, right? Slight, slight edge. It's easy to do, but it's also easy not to do. Right? It's easy to become successful because the steps are easy, but it's also easy to become a failure because it's really easy not to do those things. So if you're a Cutco Invector, I would say list your manager, list your the next level up and go to the events, read the books because they're free. They're right in front of you. Call Dan, he'll help you. Anybody that wants the help, they can ask for it and they will receive it and go through the program and be diligent about it and learn it because the skills that you're learning, it's not just about hawking knives. It, these, these skills can translate to any career path that you choose and you can be, become mega successful either in what you're doing or in the future just from the skills that you learn now. So that's what I would probably say. Thank you for that, Andy. I really appreciate it. It's amazing to see the success that you've built. I'm proud to have been a tiny piece of it uh, piece, man. 25 years ago. Yeah, And uh, it's just so cool to see uh, what you're accomplishing and, and the ways that you're giving back, not just with your dollars, but with your time and with your influence, with your impact on so many other people and doing great work. So congratulations and kudos thanks, to you. And thanks thank for you, being thank part you. of the podcast, man. Awesome. Andy C, everyone, that was so good. Loved the Cutco lessons that he shared from early in his career, setting goals. The grand day every day was his goal during his fast start. He did have 10 grand days in a row during his fast start, working super hard, right? Being able to establish that work ethic and expand sort of the comfort zone around work and then following a program, following a system. These are all things he applied as he got into real estate with scripting and uh, having a routine and disciplined activity 
right? I loved where he read his affirmations. Like that was pretty cool as well. And then understanding the concept of the slight edge, right? Getting a little bit better at everything you're doing every single day. Post no zeros, he said, when referencing uh, the book Atomic Habits. And, and that process is going to lead you to consistent improvement, which ultimately turns into what looks like a quantum leap, but in reality was an accumulation of many years of effort and learning and improvement. And he also said, uh, you know, a main goal in life is helping people. And what are the things you're doing to impact other people, to change lives, as is the theme of this podcast? I think that's a great thing to consider as we wrap this one up for today. Amazing to hear Andy's journey in building a $900 million real estate business, one of the top in the United States of his kind. Really, really cool to hear. I hope you really enjoyed this one. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.